0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry, and uh, it's Stuff You Should Know, the rodeo.
0: Yeah. Ironically, I asked if we'd done a podcast on memory, Mm -hmm. and
1: neither one of us could remember. Nope. And I'm looking it up on our site. And I don't see it anywhere. I got to feel like... Which doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't even... I know. It's tough now
0: with 630, about 40 plus.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll like delve into a subject, but it's not necessarily what the whole podcast is about. Yeah, yeah. And then every once in a while we come up with one of those stupid non-How X Works titles. hmm So that just throws it off even further. Right. Like, we may have m- like named it like a a podcast to remember. Boom. Boom! Mnemonic device, bitching. Yeah, we totally did one on memory. Yep. Wow. Good job. Thank you.
0: That was real time.
1: I just worked (laughs) it out. (laughs)
0: All right. Well, we're we're definitely going to go over memory some because you can't talk about amnesia without talking about memory. So we'll just, you know, reinforce that. Right. Knowledge. I'm excited about this one. I thought it was pretty good. Amnesia is uh, sometimes it's like TV and
1: movies, but not usually. Uh. It can be. Yeah. But yeah, that's a very rare case. So rare that um, a, whoever has that kind of amnesia gets to be the intro for our podcasts. Okay. Who? A guy named uh, Clive Waring.
0: Yeah, man. This dude. Yeah. I feel sorry for him. <laughs>
1: Did you see the cover of the book? He has this look on his face like, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> that's because he wakes up again every 20 seconds and goes, what just happened?
1: Yeah, there's a poor man named Clive Waring. He's a musician and a musicologist, and he is the he is the man with the world's poorest memory, which means Oliver Sacks sleeps on his couch. Yeah, you know, um, and he has a, a memory that refreshes itself every few seconds. He comes out and goes,
0: "Who's that guy on my couch?" Yeah, and he goes, "I'm Oliver Sacks." He goes,
1: Oh, hey, Oliver. It's tattooed on your forearm. And then he goes, Oliver, what are you doing here? <laughs> that's, like, that's how it is. It, it refreshes like that. So, um, this guy, uh, th- there was a New Yorker profile in him that, uh, Conger, who wrote this article, um, cites saying that eating an apple is kind of like a magic trick to this guy. Like one second, like he's got the apple in his hand and it's intact. And then he'll look down again and it's just the core a few seconds later. Yeah. He has no memory whatsoever of eating the apple. Um, He may not even, he probably, he doesn't remember getting the apple. Right. He just knows there's an apple core in his hand now. Yeah. So he must have eaten it.
0: Yeah, his, uh, and we'll go over this later. He he has a journaling system because you kind of have to, um, like in the movie Memento. Uh, And it, it had some excerpts and it was literally like, 905, woke up feeling refreshed, 908. Completely awake now, feeling really good, right. 9, 10, I am fully awake at this point, right. and he scratches through previous entries just to to keep track right. on where he is in the day.
1: And then it takes like a really jarring turn once in a while, it'll be like, 9, 12, I no longer trust my wife. <laughs> yeah, there's you some know? weird guy on my couch. <laughs> She's out to get me. <laughs> she could really mess with this guy. Yeah. You know? She could be like Joey Pants in Memento. Yeah.
0: I mean, how many times in an argument do I say, I don't know what you're talking about? Right. <laughs> that would be so great well, if that was well, actually
1: effective. I mean, an argument would just stop. <laughs> yeah. After a few seconds, it'd be like, uh, but that would be a, the, one of the horrible side effects. Sure. Of having amnesia like Clive Waring has. Um, imagine coming to and your adrenaline still pumping and you feel the sensation of anger. Right. You have no idea why. Yeah. That, that is what happens to this guy. Yeah. So we should say that, um, he's not just like a, a walking noodle. Like he does have some memories. He has, uh, he has the ability to still play the piano, which is amazing. Yeah. He was an accomplished piano player. Um, but he can, he can play the piano if you ask him to and he'll play it well. Uh, But then when he finishes, you can say, Oh, what was that piece? And he will say, What piece? Yeah. And that's that.
0: Yeah, he uh he has both retrograde and anterograde amnesia, which is pretty rare to have both of those at once. Um and we'll we'll get to what all that means, but uh and we'll get to why as well that he can go make a cup of coffee. We're going to get to it, you know. We Maybe can- we already have. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. That's a nice tease.
1: Yeah, it, he uh he remembers his wife, which is good. Apparently, one of the symptoms that he first exhibited was he couldn't remember his daughter's name, though. Oh, really? One of his earliest symptoms was a headache, and then all of a sudden he's like, what's your name, kid? Right. And then he he thought, maybe something's not right here.
0: Well, and this is one of the things about amnesia, that it's it's different for everyone, and it's all dependent on uh, what happened to you and the extent of whatever damage you may have suffered.
1: Right, and even two people who have identical types of amnesia... It's going to be different for them, and here's why. Memory is different for everybody. Yeah, exactly. We all form memories following similar um, constructs, but for each individual person, what we remember. Yeah. What makes us remember something, um, all of that is highly individualized, highly personalized, so much so that, Chuck, have you ever wondered if we all see the color green the same? No. You've never wondered? No, I've never wondered that. But now I am, and it's fascinating. <laughs> you haven't ever wondered that, really? Uh huh. Oh yeah. Like yeah. To, if like our visual cues are subjective. Well, I mean, like I see green, mm-hmm. and you see green, and it's similar. But haven't you ever wondered if, like, the shade is slightly different? Or I've never wondered that. Just because of our the information coming to our optic yeah. nerves, our eyes are slightly different. Like all of those little nuances. Like what's green to me not necessarily green to you, even though it, it really is, because we both say, well, that's green. Yeah, but there if you think
0: about it, there'd be no way to really describe that, because if it's all subjective. Right. I mean, what do you say? Green is like a combination of these two colors, They're Like, but what are those two colors?
1: Yeah, it's easier to just point and be like, that's green. And you go, no, that's not green.
0: Yeah, we should do one on colorblindness. I have it on the list, but it's
1: um, pretty tough, believe it or not. I did a, a don't be dumb on colorblindness. Yeah. Dogs being colorblind. Right. They're not. <laughs> They're not. No, no. They see, see. How a, do you prove that? They see a spectrum. Uh, I can't remember. You'll have to watch the Don't Be Dumb on it. Okay. Um, okay. So let's talk about the memory process that humans typically follow, even though it is highly individualized.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of types of memory uh, we all know and love as short term and long term. Um, if you long, short term is good because you remember what you want, and you get rid of what you don't. If you if you didn't, you would be like Mary Lou Henner from Taxi.
1: Oh, did she have like a, a an amazing memory? She
0: has a condition that only another dozen people have in the U.S. Mm-hmm. called H. Sam, mm-hmm. Highly Superior Autobiographical Memory. Wow! And they just discovered it in 2006. Period. Not just in her, and it's only autobiographical though. But for these people, you say June 1st, 1976, and Mary Lou. Lou Henner can go, Oh, well, that was an off day for taxi. We weren't shooting and I went shopping at Saks and bought this scarf and then had a Cobb salad. And, uh, like okay. I said, though, it's only autobiographical. They can't necessarily remember like everything, right? Just about details of their life. Yeah. But it's just nuts. Like she literally remembers everything that's ever happened to her.
1: So th- that's cool. Yeah. That she remembers that Cobb salad because it was probably pretty good. It's pretty tough to screw up a cob salad. Yeah. Uh, Sacks, trip, that's fun. Yeah. So so that's good. But if she were, if she had um, a low latent inhibition, Mm -hmm. where all of the things like the click of a a light bulb turning on, the buzzing from somebody's electric razor next door, the sound of water rushing, the look of everything, the feel of everything. All of that information was coming in and flooding her memory and asking for her attention. She'd go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the roles of short-term memory, specifically the hippocampus, is to say, keep that, keep that, throw that away, throw that away, throw that away. This one seems kind of important. Oh, this one has an emotion attached. Uh, we definitely need to keep that. Yeah. That's what's going on with short-term memory. Apparently, we keep about seven pieces of information up to 30 seconds which sounds to me like a statement that is going to be utterly debunked as ridiculous in 10 years when oh, we yeah. understand memory more. But yeah. for the time being, that's our concept of short-term memory.
0: It does seem sort of like a stab. Yeah. A stab at something.
1: It's overly concise. Yeah. You know? Agreed. Uh, so that's short-term memory. And short-term memory is basically just holding immediate information in the front of your mind, um, figuratively and literally. Yeah. Uh, and if it's sorted, it's sorted into long term memory.
0: That's right. Uh, how we store memories, how we make memories, uh, the first thing that happens is we have something called sensory memories. So you see a, uh, you hear Josh pass gas and you hear a sound and you might smell something. You would not hear that. <laughs> That's true. You're an, <laughs> an SBD guy. <laughs> Uh, or let's say you see a strawberry and you taste the strawberry and you see what it looks like that it's red and you taste it and you know it's tart. All right. Uh, those are sensory memories and our nerve cells detect that. Uh, they send that as an electrical, uh, electrical impulse along to the end of a nerve. Um, it turns on the little neurotransmitter, which mm-hmm. sends a chemical message. It hops. We've talked about synapses, those gaps between, uh, nerve cells. The neurotransmitter sends it across that little great divide uh, to the neuron, which is your brain cell, yeah. and immediately your brain registers that as a short-term memory. Uh, and whether or not it becomes a long-term memory is whether or not you need to uh, remember that and encode it. Right. And that encoding process is what moves it to the deep freeze.
1: You know what I'm curious about? I wish I'd thought to look this up. How does science quantify the present? Like, can you... Is the present... You know, 0.8 nanoseconds? Is it the 30 seconds that your working memory is chewing on something? Uh, I mean, how quickly does a a sensation or an experience become the past?
0: The nanosecond after
1: it happens, I guess. But why a nanosecond? Why not a microsecond? Why not five seconds?
0: Whatever the smallest amount of time is. Yeah. Technically, probably. I guess so. That's pretty deep thought, though. (laughs) For for a Tuesday (laughs) afternoon. That green... (laughs) It's like I took acid earlier, sweet uh, so um, encoding for long-term memory is where
1: we were right uh, all of this stuff is coming to the hippocampus and the hippocampus works in concert with some other parts of the brain, the amygdala, the thalamus. the amygdala is big on emotion, the uh, thalamus is big on um, routing sensory stuff yeah. and pairing it with emotion. Emotions play a big role in uh, memory, yes. Because if you pair uh, an experience with an emotion, it's going to have that much more of a uh, an impact on our neural pathways that are formed.
0: Yeah, that's what encoding is. Like, the things you remember most, you're, you're, you're basically leaving a trail of breadcrumbs along this pathway mm-hmm. if you want to retrieve a memory. And the stronger, like you said, if it's tied to emotion, it might be stronger, more reinforced. Yeah. Or if it's something you have to remember a lot, that breadcrumb trail is going to be... With larger pieces of bread.
1: Yeah, the, the more spot. the more times it's traversed, the the um more well worn the path grows, the yeah. stronger that memory is, um and that's that's a um a mechanism called long term potentiation, where an initial sensory experience becomes a hard encoded memory. Yeah, in our long term memory, and you could crack open like one of our brains, and say, see this this neural circuit right here. That's my memory of my last birthday. Yeah. See that donut? (laughs) That's just there. It just started growing a few years ago. I'm waiting for it to fully mature before I harvest it.
0: That was always a, one of the early Simpsons had that, I think. It showed people's like thought bubbles at one point and Homer's was just a donut.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It was pretty good. I could see that. Uh, so like you said, this, this is all part of the limbic system. I don't think we said that. No, we didn't. Which, which is, uh, you know, your reward system. You experience emotions through it.
0: Yeah, learning, memory, all that is uh, tied to the limbic system.
1: And um, our our thoughts are being stored in the uh, cerebral cortex. Our, I should say, our um, epis—our is it our episodic? Thoughts? Well, short term. That's in this c- in the cerebral cortex. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if a yeah, that's right. Because if you take a um, a specific type of memory, which we'll get to in a second. It usually gets stored in the region that's responsible for processing it as it happens in the first place. Right. So, like Broca's area, responsible for processing language. Yeah. There's also your, your language related memories are stored there. Yeah, yeah. You know, that time good point. that guy shouted at you in Spanish, you didn't know what he was saying. Right. You can crack open the Broca's area, and there it is.
0: Yeah, so the, the cortex is where you temporarily put it. It works with the, the hippocampus to send it to, like you said, whatever part of the brain. I didn't know that. That's interesting, though. It it lives where it was originated. Makes total sense.
1: Yeah. Again, I I really just, I have a feeling that our understanding of memory is tenuous enough that like a lot of this stuff is going to change in 10 years, 5 years, 15 years. Right. But for the time being, this is our understanding. Well, like with anything
0: with the brain, it's just like there's still so much mystery, you know? Yeah. It's shrouded in it. The gray area. Uh. All right, so there's many types of long-term memory. Uh, they are as follows, and these will come up throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, your explicit or episodic memory is what we do when we study for a podcast, basically. It's like facts and information-specific stuff. Right. We read it. We learn it. We know
1: it. Yeah, cramming for an exam. That's
0: how you do it. Uh, you've got procedural or implicit. Uh, these are sensory and motor memories. That's how you know how to make a cup of coffee.
1: And it's... It's like muscle memory.
0: Yeah, it becomes less of memory and more something that you've done by repetition over and over. That's why uh, Clive Clive can make that
1: cup of coffee. Or can play the piano still.
0: Yeah, he doesn't remember how to play the piano. His fingers just do it from muscle memory.
1: Right, he doesn't consciously remember. He does have procedural memories. Exactly. Um, We've got semantic memory, Mm -hmm. which is organized and categorized memories. Yeah. So it's a uh, kind of like a meta version of a uh, type of memory. Right. Where like you, um, if you're thinking about what your favorite bands are or something. Right. You have a file of all the bands you ever listened to that maybe there's a subfolder in that file of the ones that you've ever heard that you like. Right. And all of those are based on your experiences of listening to Led Zeppelin or, you know, um, Boogie Down Productions. Or The Carpenters. I can go on.
0: So when someone asks you what your favorite band is, you're scrolling through that
1: folder. Right. And what you're doing is accessing your semantic memory. Right. Or you could just say pavement. You could be like, look at the t-shirt, <laughs>
0: bud. You just default and say pavement. Yeah. and you're good to go. It's good Pixies for you, probably, huh? Uh
1: Yeah. I, I would say these days I would go more with Morrissey. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Whoa. Oh, he's always been up there. Yeah nipping at the pixie's heels but i i would say morrissey may have taken the lead recently
0: yeah i remember hearing
1: the smiths for the first time in like uh ninth grade i was like man who are these guys they still hold up oh yeah but if you and if you listen though it's like well no you mean the smiths no i love the smiths but if you listen to morrissey's career like all it was was if the evolution of morrissey started with the smiths and he just kept going yeah. And he just hit his stride even more after the Smiths. So yeah, his solo I like looks Morris great. even more than the Smiths.
0: Man. All right. Em- that felt good to get <laughs> off my chest. <laughs> you won't find me dissing Moz under any circumstances. No, why would you? He's the man. Uh so you've got emotional long-term memory those are um well, emotional like super intense memories about something that may have happened to you. Mm-hmm. Uh and then spatial which are just the spacing of an area. I remember that in the dark when I go to the bathroom that I have to walk around my nightstand.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a good one.
0: Running right into it.
1: Man, that'll break your toe. Although that happens. And I kind of, I, I don't necessarily take issue with emotional memories being broken out as their own thing, but it seems like emotion is one of the drivers of memory formation. Yeah. Even if it's just the slightest feeling. It seems like emotion is attached to all memories. Like it's a, it's a signal like remember this. Right. And it's also a way, it's, it's an aspect of memory as well. Like when you recall a memory, strawberry, Mm -hmm. um, if you have your first strawberry after somebody mashes it in your face and (laughs) like twists your nipples (laughs) and walks away, Uh right? Yeah. You're probably going to, associate that bad feeling with strawberries for a while. There's nothing worse than strawberry tufts. So so all all memories have some amount of emotion to them, which means all memories are emotional. But, Chuck, that doesn't mean that for the rest of your life, you're going to have kind of a sour taste in your mouth when you're eating a sweet strawberry because of that initial experience, because memories are subject to change because of neuroplasticity. That's right. Although you may as well, like you might remember it, but I'll bet you don't have the emotional experience of it over and over again if you eat enough strawberries and experience them in different situations and settings.
0: Right. I guess you're right. Like if something has made me sick in the past, I have an aversion to it.
1: Right. But 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 I don't
0: power through it. Like I just leave it there. I won't drink Milwaukee's best beer anymore.
1: Really got sick off that.
0: Yeah, like 25 years ago. Huh. And just the smell of it now. Immediately, I'm just like, boo-boo. That's funny.
1: You know? Huh. Um, if you wanted to, you could power through it. And after enough times, what you would be doing is activating that neural circuit, yeah, that long-term potentiation, and refreshing it a little bit, changing your idea of what Milwaukee's Best is all about. <laughs> Boy, that's a commercial. Yeah.
0: They should send us some beer, and I'll get over it. There you go. But I won't get so drunk that I pass out and forget, because we'll get to that. That's a real thing. Yeah, it is. It's a kind of amnesia. It is, literally. You can
1: get amnesia tonight if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. I'm going to see Stephen Malkmus tonight, full circle. You want to remember that. I do. Uh, and then the the third type of memory is where you combine short-term memory with long-term memory, right. and you come up with working memory. Um, one example I saw during research is when you're looking at a menu, you're going down a menu to decide what you want to eat. Mm-hmm. You're taking in that information from that menu. Yeah. Um, and you're creating a, a little bit of an episodic stimulus sure. in your short-term memory. Yeah. And then you're accessing your long-term memories, maybe from having pork chops before. Right. Um, and you're comparing the two. That's your working memory. Okay. So that's a, that's a huge aspect of memory as well. And they think, as it stands right now, that it's basically a combination of short-term memory and long-term memory, mixing them together, and there you have your menu choice.
0: And that's just your day to day kind of deciding things. Exactly. That's what your working memory is. Yeah. That's a very dumb way to say it, but you know what I mean.
1: Your day to day.
0: Uh, alright, so I guess we can talk about amnesia a little bit now, right? Yeah. Uh, forgetfulness is good. It's not a bad thing to forget. Um, you should remember the important things, but like we said, it frees up your brain of the, the, the stuff we don't need and Amnesia is nothing more than a really bad case of the forgets brought on by, it can be brought on by a lot of things, but a lot of time it's literally an injury to your brain.
1: Uh, yeah, well, that's neurological amnesia. Yeah, which is the first kind that we're talking about here. It can come on from a stroke. Yeah. It can come on from your you just not having enough oxygen for a little while. Which drugs. Yeah. Drugs can bring it on.
0: Drugs can bring it on. Alcohol. Yeah. What else? Uh, any, like blunt force trauma. Yeah. Tumor. Electroconvulsive
1: therapy. That was another good episode we did.
0: Yeah. Uh, in the case of Clyde Wearing, he had a, uh, he had herpes encephalitis, a viral infection. That can do it. It destroyed his, basically cut the cord of the hippocampus and the cortex.
1: Well, give him that, that analogy. That's a great analogy, the f- telephone cord. Uh, yeah. And this is thanks to Kristen Conger, who wrote this. I don't know if we mentioned that.
0: Um, if your memory is a telephone, the hippocampus is the phone cord and the synapses that we talked about are the in the cortex. Those are the voicemail messages. So in his case, he had damage to his cortex, I believe, and the hippocampus, right?
1: Yeah, he has one of the more severe versions of amnesia. So
0: because the phone cord was cut in the hippocampus, that's why he has no ability to form any long-term memory because there's just no pathway. Mm-hmm. And the voice messages are erased, essentially, because of the damage to the cortex.
1: And there's no way to, they may be there still, but there's no way for him to access his voicemail account any longer. Right. So he has a really bad case of neurological amnesia. And analogy. <laughs> I had uh, Mr. Telephone Man in my head, that new edition song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The there's only way to get it my line. was to go <laughs> listen to it. It worked, too.
0: So when you dial your baby's number and you get a click every time? <laughs>
1: Mr. Telephone Man.
0: It's a good song. It is a good song.
1: New Edition was pretty good.
0: Yeah. And, well, we've gone over Belle Biv DeVoe. When? Oh, I've dropped a couple of references over the years. Oh, yeah? That very few people notice. Were
1: you a Bell Biv DeVoe fan? Sure. Okay.
0: A little bit. I mean, you know, that wasn't really my music, but... I'm
1: a New Edition man myself. Gotcha. <laughs> I was a big Bobby Brown guy. <laughs> so, um, with this, uh, with Neurological Amnesia, there is... Damage to the structure. Yeah. Um, and it just shuts down the whole system. Right? Yeah, it cuts that cord. And, um, we talked about all of the different ways you can, you can get that.
0: Yeah, and it, it can be, like we said, depending on how severe the injuries are. It's not always completely cut, but it just may be damaged. So you may have either really bad amnesia, like Clyde Wearing, or maybe not so bad.
1: Right. And, um, neurological amnesia is very often permanent. But it's also very often stable, unless it's associated with a degenerative brain disease. Right. It's usually like after whatever event happened yeah. to you, whatever you come to remembering, or maybe after you fully recover, um, after you hit that point where you're like, I don't remember anything else, or I can't form new memories after X number of minutes or seconds or whatever. Right. Um, it's going to stay like that. And we'll talk about how people with amnesia navigate life. In a little bit. Yeah. And we'll talk about the other type of amnesia, um, dissociative amnesia, right after this message. So, Chuck, we were talking about neurological amnesia. That's one type. Yeah. And uh, the other type, and there's different ways to break them out, but the other um, main type is dissociative amnesia, which is brought on by intense amounts of stress.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it can be a trauma. Uh, the good news is it's usually temporary and it can, associ- uh, it can come to light in a couple of different ways. Um, let's say you had some super traumatic event mm-hmm. that can either damage your memory as a whole because of massive amounts of cortisol mm-hmm. from stress, or it could just be the one event that you blocked out. Right. Like a really bad mugging, uh, that, scared you or a car accident or something, you might not have any memory just of that.
1: Right. That's actually how they divide um, or subdivide dissociative amnesia. Yeah. There's a global dissociative amnesia, which is autobiographical, which is like, who am I? What happened? Right. After witnessing your family be murdered or something horrific like that. Yeah. You don't remember anything about anything. Um, the other type is situational dissociative amnesia where you remember yourself, you remember who you are, your address, all, everything except that, that murder that you witnessed. Yeah. Which can be a good thing. Yeah, it can get, be. Get rid of that memory, you know? Yeah, you could definitely interpret it as like a, a, a safeguard by the brain, you know? Yeah. Um, either way though, what's happened is like you said, cortisol has been released, which has been shown to affect the, uh, hippocampus. Uh, and it also affects the brain's plasticity or its ability to form new memories. So basically, one way to put it, especially with situational dissociative amnesia, is the brain says, this is so stressful yeah. that I'm overwhelmed with cortisol and I can't form new memories right now. Therefore, this never happened. Yeah. You know, one thing
0: that was interesting is hippopotamuses, um, I saw this on Animal Planet the other day, they are... So stressed out, um, especially sadly, little babies that are orphaned because of poaching mm-hmm. for rhino horns.
1: Mm-hmm. Did I say hippopotamus? Rhinoceros. Yeah. Like they, they, they feel for the rhinoceros.
0: <laughs> the rhinoceros, I was thinking hippocampus, I think. Yeah. Um, they can die from too much cortisol from being stressed.
1: That's yeah, so sad.
0: Like a little baby rhino might die because their parents died just from cortisol, like massive amounts of cortisol.
1: We have to update our Can You Die of a Broken Heart episode then. I think we just did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can check that off the list. That's right. Uh, okay, yes. Stress is a killer. Yeah. We know this. Yeah. Literally. Um, and it can cause amnesia. And this is not, um, I think a lot of people uh, suspect that when it's not neurological, when there's not an organic r- cause, yeah. like a brain injury, For amnesia, that it's possibly somebody faking or something like that. No, they're, they're, they are so stressed out that the chemicals, the chemical composition in their brain has prevented new memories from forming. Not plastic anymore. No. Uh, the thing is, is that that dissociative amnesia is very frequently temporary. Um, there might be something that triggers a memory that leads to a cascade of memories that restores the person's memory fully.
0: Yeah. Um, you see that in movies too. That's a big popular one for fiction.
1: Yeah, it's crazy that there's like, I mean, it's th- in movies it happens far more frequently. Yeah. Um, than in, in real life, but it's not terribly far off. Yeah. Not because the movies are really kind of keeping it close to reality. Just that amnesia is like can be that crazy. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: You can kind of do anything, and someone's probably had that kind. Right. Uh, so we mentioned weaving, um, wearing. Clive Waring has both retrograde and, and anterograde and that is uh a couple of other ways that that doctors can um categorize it is by the type of memory he has both retrograde means you can't remember the the past and anterograde means you can't make the new memories and since he has both he's in big trouble uh anterograde is a little more like uh the movie Memento right when every 30 or 40 seconds, you're born anew.
1: But even still, uh, if you haven't seen Memento, just go ahead and fast forward to this part. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 he, he wrongly remembers his own past. Yeah. Which is a symptom of, um, retrograde amnesia that you confabulate. You basically come up with imaginary things your mind does to fill in the gaps. Yeah. And you believe them to be real. But they're not real. It's imagined. Yeah. Remember, that's how he turned out at the end. Like, he wasn't the insurance adjuster. That wasn't a case. Like, that was his life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, also very, especially in that
0: movie, very easily to be taken advantage of. Right. Uh, The one scene with his, when he was paying rent, when he kept paying rent, the guy was like, yeah, your rent's due. Right. And, uh, yeah, the guy was a jerk. But he has a system, and we'll talk about that coming up, too.
1: So let's uh, let's talk about anterograde. Anterograde is the inability to form new memories. Yes. Uh, and it's pretty simple. Basically, there's something wrong with the hippocampus right then. Mm-hmm. Could be permanent, in which case you end up like uh, Clive Wearing and you can't form new memories. Or it could be temporary. Could be drunk. That is why. Uh, anterograde amnesia is far more common than retrograde. Yeah. It's one reason. We can easily assault our hippocampus through booze. Yeah. And uh, as an example of how procedural memory still stays intact, you can walk and talk and move around and everything and then wake up the next morning and be like, how did I get here? And no matter how hard you try, you're not going to remember specific details if you fully blacked out, because when yeah. you were fully blacked out, your hippocampus was no longer taking all this information and forming memories like they just don't exist. Yeah. And that's anterograde amnesia. And it depends on who
0: you are. Some people like might have an alcohol blackout way easier than others. But if you're blacking out from alcohol, you're drinking too much. Sure. You know? Yeah. Even if you're someone with a super low tolerance and blacks out really easily. Yeah. Blacking out's blacking out. It's a a line for everyone. It doesn't mean you're passing out. You're still doing stuff. Right. And saying
1: stuff. You're blacked out. You're blacked out. But um, it it can be kind of tricky because if you think about it, you wake up the next morning and you're like, how did I get here? What happened? And by that time, last night was the past. Right. Which makes you think, oh, that's retrograde amnesia. Right. No. The amnesia is related to your ability to form memories or access old memories. So with Anterograde, your ability to form new memories in the present, which was while you were drunk and blacked out. Right. That was Anterograde amnesia. That's right. Retrograde amnesia is totally different because it is the destruction of those voicemail messages. Of your past. Yes. Which is super sad. Um, yeah, because what's life if it's not a collection of memories? Yeah. You know? And hope for the future. <laughs> Look at you. And this microsecond <laughs> right now. Uh,
0: with retrograde, it's, um, if it's severe, basically your new memory or your most recent memories, which aren't as strong and reinforced yet, are the ones to go first. And then depending on how severe your retrograde amnesia is, it'll go further and further back in your little memory file right. and start destroying them. Uh, or if you're in the case of uh, wearing, if you have it super bad, you might not remember your past at all.
1: Right, but he does remember his wife.
0: He does remember his wife, and that theory, um, or that is called, uh, is that Ribot's law, R I B O T. I would say Rebo. Ribot? It looks pretty French. It does look French. Uh, that is that that pattern of destroying those newer memories first, mm-hmm. and then going back and back, depending on how severe it is. And
1: there's a there's a reasoning to it behind the whole thing. It's that your the your more recent memories haven't had years to potentiate and become these well-worn paths, yeah. so they're easier to wipe out than your longer-term ones. But it is totally different, retrograde amnesia, because it it can attack those parts of your brain where um, those memories are stored. So right. it, it might not have anything to do with any kind of damage to your hippocampus. It can, say, uh, attack the part of your brain where, um, again, the language memories are stored in your Broca's area.
0: Yeah, like if you have a stroke, uh, you might not remember how to speak. And that means that Broca's area has been damaged Yeah, via lack of blood flow and oxygen.
1: That might be different. That might be like you're, you lose your ability to speak. I wonder if it does have to do with memory, though, now that you mention it.
0: I don't know. Huh. Like when my grandfather had a stroke, he still talked, but they weren't words. Oh, yeah. But he thought he was talking. Like in his head, yeah. he was saying... No, you turn left up here to go to the gas station right. to his wife. But it came out as, walkin' walking Duke and walking BC, and walk But that was
1: unsettling?
0: <laughs> it was sad and unsettling. How um, How long and did he live like this? you could see the frustration, too, because in his head he was saying um, the right words.
1: But could he hear himself, like what was coming out of his... I don't know, because he couldn't tell us. Or he could see on your faces that he wasn't saying what he was saying? I don't... I mean, I was pretty young,
0: so this is all kind of distant,
1: but... How long did he live like that? Um... I feel like a few
0: years yeah yeah did he could he write i don't remember that
1: usually that's separate oh yeah so i bet he could write still you should find out i'm curious yeah i should ask my mom was he a good guy used oh, the best yeah. yeah well i'm sorry chuck yeah that's right
0: it happens it's in my bloodline too so i'm sure the same thing will happen to me is it really
1: well i will yeah. prop you up in front of the microphone and we'll do a podcast <laughs> like that and you'll just translate for me yeah that's very nice I'll be like i think he's saying he likes pavement <laughs> Uh, you could just
0: default to that, and I'd always be sort of happy. I'd be like, "Oh, that's fine." I was really saying I was hungry, but
1: you go walka,
0: yeah. Um, it was weird though. Like his language was very consistent. It had that same, the familiar, like there was a lot of walkin' walkin', like that sound. Like kept he he
1: made up his own language. Kinda? Yeah, sort of.
0: It was really interesting. Man,
1: that's interesting. And the thing is, is that's how they figured out that different parts of the brain are responsible for uh different, um. I guess different aspects of our personality or life, like yeah. speaking, is different than hearing, yeah, and writing, right? And it, it like if you're just because you can't talk or form words doesn't mean you can't hear and understand words or write words,
0: right? Or think in your head the right words even right. though they're not coming out right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so with both of these kinds of amnesia, uh, we should point out that your explicit or episodic memory is what you're losing, but your implicit or procedural memory is usually still intact. Yeah. As long as your cerebellum is good, that's why you might be able to make the cup of coffee or ride a bike, Uh, these things that are just ingrained in your your brain. Right. And that's why Clyde Wearing can
1: play the piano. But he can't remember who his favorite composer is. No. So uh, Wearing is a really good example of how somebody can live with amnesia. Number one, Mm -hmm. he has an amazing caretaker, his wife. Sure. Who... You know, basically, she takes care of him.
0: Yeah. I bet she does little things, though, like just where she wants to eat that night. Right. Like, no, we ate there last night. I'm not going there again. Right. He's like, we did? Sure. Or
1: she can really get him going where every time he looks down, he's like, ooh, a Hershey's kiss. <laughs> right. Ooh, a Hershey's kiss. <laughs> you know? just yeah. to Just to delight him a little bit. Yeah. It'd be fun to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, yes, he has a good caretaker, which is important. Yes. Because there's no treatment for amnesia now there's you, no there's no, no cure kill. right they can't inject you with something and all of a sudden your memories come back so most um, most treatments for amnesia deal with figuring out how to navigate life under this the the new change to the the way you remember things
0: yeah it's all about systems you have to have a system in place that you don't deviate from mm-hmm um, in Clive's case, in the case of Memento, he used tattoos and Polaroids.
1: Yeah, and notes for himself.
0: Yeah, sticky notes, uh, and that's what wearing does. Basically, he keeps a journal, and like I said, he crosses things out as he goes, so he knows where he is in the day. Right. He also he can look at his journal and says, "No, I woke up three times already. <laughs> I don't need to keep can writing stop that." Stop writing
1: that. Yeah. Um, he also the other aspect of um, forming routines is that they involve habits. And yeah. with habits, remember, your procedural memory is still intact. So y- you end up like just knowing. How does he know to get up and go to the journal if his memory refreshes every few minutes? Yeah, exactly. Or every few seconds? It's because he's formed a habit, a procedural memory of there's a journal and you should go to it. So he knows what we would call instinctively um, through his procedural memory of using the journal over and over again. And he's formed a habit. So that helps big time. Also, smartphones help big time, too. Yeah. Because he can access all sorts of stuff. Set reminders. He's got a calendar right there.
0: Uh, Basically what most of us do, except taken to the nth degree, you know. Like, I rely, I have a terrible memory, you know this, so I rely heavily on calendars and notes and reminders.
1: Uh
0: Um, And I don't even have amnesia, as far as I know.
1: Can't you imagine, like, every time he pulls his iPhone out, he's like, wow. (laughs) Right. Look (laughs) at this thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's reminding me, and it's a computer in my hand. Yeah. The future is here. i wife is so sick of hearing him say, <laughs> the future is here. <laughs> We've really poked fun at this guy a lot. Yeah, I hope he's not listening to this. He won't remember anyway. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> there it was. Yep.
0: Uh, psychotherapy, if you have disassociative amnesia,
1: yeah, can help out. I imagine that's a tough case to tackle. Sure. Cuz not only do you have to get to the root of this, like you have to you have to figure out everything else first. Yeah. You know, and then 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 sort through this lost you have to regenerate the the autobiographical information and right. then figure out which part of it is the real problem. So it's like this huge massive layer on top of a normal case. Right. That's already a very uh, pronounced one because the stressful event was so bad. Yeah. That it wiped out their ability to form memories. Yeah, that's a good point. That's got to be... I'm sure not every psychiatrist can handle that. No,
0: one. I would say you'd go to a specialist
1: for something like that. An amnesia specialist. Uh, Do you think there are those? Sure. Well, I'd like to hear from you if you listen to the podcast. Okay. An early shout out? Yeah.
0: Uh, if you um, have amnesia from drinking too much, uh, Korsakoff syndrome, you should quit drinking so much <laughs> and maybe take some B1. Yeah, because... because-
1: what's it called? Thia? thiamine deficiency.
0: Yeah, that's all it is, is B, vitamin B.
1: Mm-hmm. Don't you remember uh, you said that, um, I can't remember which episode it was, but we were talking about hardcore alcoholics degenerate, basically, physically, mentally. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. And part of it is the thiamine deficiency. Which leads to amnesia, which can be treated by laying off the sauce and taking B1.
0: so sad. Have you ever known someone that was truly, like, pickled themselves? No. It's sad, especially when you know it's from drinking, you know? Sure. It's a, it's like a form of dementia, really. Yeah. From booze.
1: Yeah. Oof.
0: And I like to drink, you know? I'm not, like, poo-pooing the whole thing, but... Like when you're blacking out and forgetting things and getting the DTS, yeah, that's like that's bad news. I know that's
1: obvious, but we should point that out because we have kids that listen to this. <laughs> that's true, you know. All right, so Chuck, uh, habits. Uh, oh, I read another one. Uh, I wrote a review of a woman who who wrote a memoir, <laughs> and she had amnesia, huge, big time amnesia. Was it short? Um. No, but she, her, the first line is something like, everything you're about to read, I don't remember. It was told to me. Oh, wow. She was playing with her kid, and uh, the kid, she was spinning him around, and I guess he knocked the ceiling fan loose, and it was like poorly installed, and it came down on her head, oh. and it was like Gilligan's Island level amnesia. Like she gets bonked and forgets things immediately? Everything. Wow. Yes, she has like world-class amnesia, almost on a Clive-wearing level. Um, and she wrote this, this memoir and in it, she's basically saying like how she navigates through life with amnesia. And a lot of it is just faking it. Really? Yeah. She didn't lose her ability to pick up on social cues so she can pick up on what's expected of her and she can kind of guess, um, a lot of confabulation, probably. Yeah. She says she has no idea why people celebrate birthdays or holidays or anything, but she still does it because she realizes she's expected to. So she's... No, it's not... With her, surely, there probably is confabulation. Yeah. She she doesn't believe what she's imagining. She's faking it. Oh, okay. And apparently, she's so good at it that people forget she has amnesia. Right. Um, But she's saying, like, no, I, I really genuinely don't remember. I'm just good at making it seem like I do so I can fit in. That must be...
0: So weird and frustrating. That sounds pretty weird. Like if to have to sing happy birthday at a birthday party, and she's like, they're singing the song. I know I'm supposed
1: to do it, but yeah, I don't like, know why. Dun, 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 like, why yeah.
0: do these people do this? Yeah. Wow. All
1: right. So, Chuck, you want to talk about uh amnesia detection? Yeah. Which seems like, oh, that person can't remember anything. They have amnesia. Or they just got hit on the head with a coconut. <laughs> right.
0: Well, for Wearing, uh, he had a headache. That was the first thing that happened. Yeah. The next thing that happened a couple of days later, like you said earlier, he couldn't remember his daughter's name. Right. So warning signs flashing at that point. And it really spiraled out of control from there in his case. Uh, sometimes it's super obvious. Um, like you said, if you injure your head and you can't remember things, mm-hmm. then you've got some form of amnesia. Um, can you recall your past events? Uh, do you confabulate? Do you confabulate? And the difference between a confabulation and a lie, by the way, is... There's intent with a lie. Right. This person Dishonest is, intent. like
1: doesn't m- realize they're filling in the gaps with imagined yeah. stuff. Or if they do, they don't want to think about it. They're n- yeah, there's no malice involved. They're just trying to be normal.
0: Right. You know? Uh, you might have tremors uh, or be uncoordinated. You might be confused and disoriented. Could
1: be in a fugue state, which is where yeah. you're wandering around.
0: Yeah, that's with the disassociative identity. That can be Uh, present for sure
1: you remember when john mccain entered that fugue state in the 2008 (laughs) debate against obama (laughs) did you see that yeah man i couldn't believe it even obama was like what is this guy doing yeah he even he made that face and i think he pointed his thumb off to the side he went to a
0: different place briefly fugue fugue state uh one thing you want to do is get a cat scan or an mri or both and see a doctor immediately you know and find out what the heck's going on yeah like don't don't if you can't remember things that you usually can, don't mess around. It could be a sign of early Alzheimer's. Um, it could be a sign of mild cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. They're both kinds of dementia.
1: Yeah, which, I mean. Don't y- mess around with that. You can get amnesia from those, or it can be a symptom of dementia. Yeah. But um, dementia and amnesia are not one and the same. Yeah. Um, so, Chuck, why don't you see people wearing, like, uh, prevent amnesia t-shirts on like a 5k run walk to fight amnesia i don't know because there's no way to prevent it aside uh, from maybe wearing a helmet when you're riding a bike sure avoiding trees with loose coconuts yeah um doing what you can to prevent uh, a stroke or cut down on your risk of stroke yeah uh, and steering clear of highly stressful events, apparently. Yeah. There's really not a lot you can do with amnesia. It's bad luck is something. Pretty much. Something that happens to you that causes it. That's right. Um, but, again, there are possible... They're working on some treatments. There's no pill now, but they're working on treatments in the, the cutting-edge field that's starting to yield possibly results that could be used to treat amnesia are... Um, are studying fear extinction. The yeah. opposite. They're trying to induce amnesia in PTSD patients, which I think we talked about this in our PTSD episode. I think so.
0: If you've ever seen the movie Eternal Sunshine the Spotless Mind.
1: That was one of the greatest. Yeah, was I that on that your movie. top 100?
0: No, and I actually had people say, how was that not on there? That was a good movie. It was a good movie. We'll call it 101. Okay. <laughs> um, and in that movie, uh, people would pay money to have... Certain in the in the case of the movie, certain people remove from their mind, right? Like a, a former girlfriend that was so painful, you just wanted no trace of her in your memory. Yeah, um, but they are researching that at uh, Ledoux Laboratory at NYU in New York. Uh, they did an experiment where with rats, where they would associate a sound with them being shocked, and they found that in adult rats, um, when they heard that sound, of course they would freeze up like they were going to get shocked. But in baby rats, they didn't. Um, and what they learned was after about three weeks of age, a uh, sort of a molecular sheath would form around the cells in the amygdala. So they found a drug that would dissolve that sheath mm-hmm. and basically leave it prone to uh, manipulation.
1: Replasticization? And
0: the, yeah, and then they basically found that if that sheath is gone and dissolved, that they could erase... Fear memories and the adult rats were not, uh, affected any longer by that sound, the buzzing sound. Yep. And they don't know about humans yet, but they're, they're, that's obviously why they're studying it.
1: Well, the, there's a. They just a, don't want to learn about rats and their memory. Right. <laughs> um, we, we know a pretty decent amount of human and memory formation, um, thanks to a specific patient named, uh, well, for many, many years, until just a couple of years ago, he was known only as HM. Yeah. And he was a man who, uh, now that he's died, he, his identity has been revealed as Henry Mollison. Yeah. He was a lot like Clive Waring. His memory didn't refresh quite as frequently, but, um, he was the initial memory patient.
0: Yeah, he was, uh, had a bike wreck when he was a kid and was epileptic from then on. And those seizures, to relieve those seizures, they removed part of his amygdala? I'm sorry all of his amygdala, and most of his hippocampus. And it stopped the seizures, which is great. But then they found out, hey, we've got a really good memory patient on our hands now.
1: Right, because he just couldn't remember. No. And uh, he was also a very good, easygoing guy.
0: Yeah, they studied him for life.
1: Yes, from like 1953 on, I think, or 1955 on.
0: Yeah, and by on, we mean to 2008. He just died semi-recently. Yeah. And they're still slicing his brain apart and sending it out to people yep. to study.
1: Um, and he also, his brain, I should say, proved that uh, memory is not one long circuit. The process isn't one long circuit where, like with a, a string of Christmas light bulbs, if one bulb burns out, the whole thing does. Because he could remember stuff from his past up to the time when he got the surgery. He just couldn't form new memories. So they figured right. out that um, long-term memory storage and retrieval was distinct from new memory formation, which, as we've seen... You and I explained fully. Yeah, they should do...
0: I wish more people like Henrietta Lacks and, and H.M. were honored. Like, these people should have, like, statues in front of hospitals. Yeah. These people who suffered for the greater good, you know, as far as research and scientific yeah. s- study goes. Or, like,
1: those twins that were separated by the New York um, Family Services for twin studies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those kids need some statues. Or, who's some the kid moolah. in the
0: box? The... The, the girl in the box? No, the awful, the most awful case ever. Oh, B.F. Skinner's kid? Was that the one that they basically tortured as a child? Oh,
1: very recently? Like, she was recently discovered? Uh, I think it was a boy. Uh, oh, I heard man. about a girl who I was mean. kept in a closet for her whole life. Oh, yeah. In, the, in
0: Texas. I remember that, too. Yeah. But not to study is abuse, right? Yeah, it was total abuse. Now, there was some... I know we've talked about him before. Some boy who was purposefully sort of abused for the purposes of research. Oh,
1: are you talking about... Um,
0: and like they didn't have his real name and know who it was man, for many oh, years. Oh, Little Albert. Little Albert. There Where you go. Where they,
1: they uh, studied fear extinction in him yeah, yeah, by making him scared of things. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely deserves a statue. See, you remember that and I didn't. So let's... Um, You said something that... that they couldn't remember his name, I think, is what triggered it. Yeah. So, uh, and that is... Uh, that's part of encoding. I encoded it. That's right. With the idea, Little Albert... They didn't remember his original name. Your trail of breadcrumbs is more solid. So let's talk pop culture real quick, man. Good movies. Memento, you mentioned. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. What else? Um, One of my favorites is Mulholland Drive. I don't remember Amnesia being a part of that, but...
0: Yeah, the, the one uh, girl couldn't remember anything.
1: Is it the main character?
0: Yeah, the, the brunette. Yeah. Uh, Vanilla Sky, which yeah. I did not care for. I like the original. I had a problem
1: with it. I know everybody didn't like it. No, nah,
0: I didn't like it. There was the original, uh, Open My Eyes, I think, was the original Spanish language film. Oh, yeah. It was based on, it was really good. Gotcha.
1: What else? I don't know. Oh, well, Jason Bourne. Yeah, he had amnesia. Yeah. Um, Fifty First First Dates, that was a cute one about amnesia. <laughs> it's a cute movie. I don't, I didn't see it. And if you, oh, I used to see it. Okay. Um, and if you reverse your perspective a little bit. Uh-huh. Groundhog Day, where Bill Murray has a tremendously excellent memory, and everyone else has amnesia. Every yeah. Day.
0: And I think this is a great time to acknowledge the great, great Harold Ramis. Yeah. Of Groundhog Day, and Stripes, and Animal House, and Caddyshack, and Ghostbusters.
1: And yeah. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What a loss. He defined comedy for our generation.
1: And, and he died at 69, which is so young. So young. Yeah. And Chuck, there's no way we could do an amnesia episode without mentioning Benjamin Kyle. Uh, you remember him? He was found in 2004 in a dumpster, naked and unconscious in Richmond Hill, Georgia. What? And he came, we've talked about him before in like one of those one minute BS things. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and he cannot remember anything. He has complete autobiographical episodic amnesia, retrograde amnesia. Yeah. And nothing is helping. They've put him on NPR, they've put him on CNN, they've put him on ABC, they've put him on news channel, They've done stories on him around the world. He has a website called FindingBenjamin, B-E-N-J-A-M-A-N dot com. And they want to figure out who this guy is. He wants to know who he is. They have not figured it out. The case is still cold. So he's not faking it? No. If he's faking it... He has totally given himself over to the idea that he will never be found out because he has put himself out there. He lives in a bureaucratic limbo because he doesn't have a social security number. Yeah. He can't get a new one because he's, he's like 60 years old and the, the feds are like, what do you need a new? Use your old one. We gave you one before. Huh. Um, and he has no idea. There's a documentary that's coming out about him or that might be out now. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's totally legitimate case wow. of full retrograde amnesia. Uh, waking up in a dumpster naked in Georgia. That is nuts. And the reason he's called Benjamin Kyle is because he's pretty sure his first name was Benjamin. Uh But um, when he was taken to the hospital, there was already a John Doe there. So they called him BK because he was found behind a Burger King. (laughs) So he took the name Benjamin Kyle.
0: So his name could have been Mickey D?
1: Could be anything.
0: Wow. Well, faking it is a thing. I um, I think Hess, Rudolf Hess, the Nazi... I didn't look this up, but I think I remember somewhere that he faked amnesia to get out of uh, his war crimes.
1: I, I believe it. That guy was an SOB all around. Yeah. He was, think, a, he was a Nazi.
0: I know. I think he did fake amnesia, and I think he even fooled his doctors for a time, but then later admitted that he had faked it. I might be wrong. Degenerate. I didn't do specific research on that, so we'll see. He was a black shirt, though. No, wait. He was a brown shirt. I got it wrong again. Brown shirts with a German black shirts were italian
1: okay all right uh well that's amnesia you got anything else no sir man uh if you want to read more about it you should type amnesia into the search bar at howstuffworks.com and it will bring up this article since i said search bar it's time for listener mail uh
0: this is from a termite expert he was a pest control operator for seven and a half years and on the board of the new york state pest management association wow that's high up uh, hey guys, when you talked about a, a termiticide treatment, you stated it is injected into the colony. Uh, this isn't quite right. Could be misleading to the average homeowner. Uh, it makes uh, them think that the colony will be killed off. What really happens is the termiticide is injected to form a barrier on a few inches of treated soil around the foundation of the house. When termites come into contact with it, they shortly die. Eventually, the colony realizes something is wrong and send out alarm pheromones to uh, for the others to avoid it. Uh, as to the bait, you would stated it might leach into the soil. This makes for good radio or podcasting. But again, it's an alarm to the homeowner uh, that's not necessarily true. Bait is solid and small, and it will not leach.
1: But it will explode.
0: <laughs> uh, when I was in the business, there were two types of bait. The first was a poison, like bait for mice you put in your home. Uh, we didn't use that, uh, but it is a... Uh, but that's about it and simple to understand uh, the idea is hopefully they will realize something is wrong and not come back the second type of bait which we used uh, interfered with the molting process you could actually see them turn a milky white as young termites could not grow the colony died as a nation would die if no new children were born like the movie Children of Men man that's a good movie uh, this program was the only one at the time that would eliminate a colony uh, I hate to nitpick you guys run a good show and I just want to see
1: it done right and that is from Sean Duffy of Pittsburgh. A termite expert who likes to pick nits. Hey. Thanks, Sean. Right? Yeah. Uh, we appreciate that, actually. I'm just teasing. Uh, if you want to tell us something we misstated slightly or otherwise, you can let us know. Join us on uh, Twitter at SYSKpodcast is our handle. Join us on Facebook.com slash know, Send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Just search Josh and Chuck. And as always, join us at our home on the web, the luxurious estate, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.